Welcome to the C10 Mentoring and Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dayton Moore's See You in the Major Leagues Foundation. Each episode of C10 brings inspiring, thought-provoking, and educational conversations with Kansas City area community-minded individuals. We dive into leadership and mentoring and how those can look for each of us in our own communities. And now, on with the C10 Mentoring and Leadership Podcast. Welcome to this week's C10 Conversation. I'm Matt Folks. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to click the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And wanting you to be a good friend and good family member, please share this with your family and friends. Hey, before I tell you about this week's episode, I want to tell you about this month's presenting sponsor of this C10 Conversation, Precision Printing in Lenexa, Kansas. When we need something printed for C of the Major Leagues, whether it's business cards, appeal letters, the guidebooks for our C10 Mentoring Leadership Program, or banners for the Crown Town Wiffle Fundraiser, our printer of choice is Precision Printing located in Lenexa, Kansas. Precision Printing is a locally owned company that's been serving the Kansas City community for more than 35 years. We've been working with them since 2016, and everyone there always goes above and beyond what you'd expect from a commercial printer. So give the folks at Precision a call at 913-663-3330 or visit them online at precisionprintkc.com. That's 913-663-3330 or visit them online at precisionprintkc.com. As you probably know, when we have a guest speaker for our C10 Mentoring and Leadership Program, we oftentimes like to use part of that conversation for this podcast. And that's what we're doing this week. With the holiday this month celebrating Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., our students heard recently from a Kansas City area resident who knew Dr. King. His name is Carl Jameson. He grew up in a single-parent household in Birmingham, Alabama during the Civil Rights era. Carl's uncle was actually with the National Office of the NAACP, so Carl was around several giants in the civil rights movement. He moved to the Kansas City area in the mid-1980s to work as a chemist at the Sunflower Ammunitions Plant. He's now retired and active in the caring ministry at the Overland Park Church of Christ. As is customary with these interviews, a lot of what was discussed with the students will remain with the students. So we've cut some of the interview out, and you'll hear about uh, roughly 25 minutes of our interview with Carl Jameson, but it is a fascinating look at what he went through during his time growing up in Birmingham. So without further delay, here is that conversation with Carl Jameson recorded on January 10th at a local movie theater, starting off with our seven questions. Question number one, my hero growing up was? You got to realize when I grew up, we didn't have a lot of heroes. Mm -hmm. Uh, We knew Superman couldn't fly. (laughs) I think... uh, Mr. Cleaver. Really? Yeah, I think so. Because he, he was the ideal father. I didn't, ha- I didn't have a father in my life coming up. I had strong women, mm-hmm. strong women. And I guess that was my father image mm-hmm. as, as far as being a family man right. was the Cleaver. But I, so I, it was I, a I, show called Leave it to Beaver for... Uh, yeah. Question number two, my dream job growing up was? Start out being a policeman, and then it changed chemistry, I I assume, because that's where I went. That's what I ended up doing. I went back to school and got my degree in chemistry, so, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Question number three, my favorite musician, band? My Ray Charles. Ray Charles? Mm Mm-hmm. You have a favorite Ray Charles song? Georgia. 
That's a good one. Joe Question number four. My favorite part of Kansas City is? I don't venture out very much mm-hmm. other than for the caring ministry and, and what have you. Can I tell you a story about that reason I don't? Sure. When I first moved here in 1985, I heard about this fish place off of Prospect, Prospect and 43rd Street. So, but anyway, I found this, and it was so good. It was, man. So every time I would get a chance on the weekend, I would go back. But one Saturday, I went over there, and I was attacked by people who didn't like people from Johnson County. They saying, why don't I get my fish from over there uh, and not to come over there anymore? And so the owner of that business came out and said, you don't run off my customers like that. I never went back, though. Hmm. Never went back. Question number five, my motto is? Do unto others as I wished them to do unto me. That is, that's my favorite. I've always believed in that. And I've lived good by it. Question number six, and we're going to come back at some point to the caring ministry part to kind of tie this in together. But you, I get inspired by getting up every morning, yeah. <laughs> getting up because I've been to places that I didn't think I was going to get up. <laughs> yeah. Every day, every day I wake up. It's a, it, I, I, I love getting up in the morning. Question number seven, and you've met some just giants in the civil rights movement. But question number seven, the one person in history I'd like to meet is? Biblical or otherwise? You name it. Paul. Okay. Paul. Why is that? Some of the things he did in the Bible I didn't quite understand. And, 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 and the best thing for me to do is not to assume but to act. Mm-hmm. So when that great day comes, that's where I'm headed. <laughs> <laughs> that's your first stop. That's huh? my first stop. It was the fish, the fish place in Kansas City. It's yeah. going to be Paul when you get up yeah, there. When I get to them, I'm going to ask Paul some questions. Uh, there you go. Okay. So we're going to talk about the civil rights movement and, and some of the things that you personally did during that. But tell me about 17-year-old Carl Jameson. What were you like when you were these students' age? Curious. But I was always, I wanted something out of life. And I knew the only way to get it is through education. Because, but then again, I had a lot of elderly people. I didn't have mentoring like you guys got. It's just busy, nosy neighbors, elderly people in the neighborhood. They would give you advice, and I would follow it. Always, because they knew. I mean, nothing is new under the sun. Everything just circles around again. Everything comes back. And whatever happened to me in one incident can happen to you in the same incident. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't change. At 17 years old, I was a junior in high school. Mm-hmm. I had a chemistry teacher who took me under her wings. And she said she liked my mathematic abilities, and she liked my way I could put stuff together in chemistry. I stayed out of trouble because I could sense it. And, and you can, too. If it doesn't feel right to you, it's not. If your first mind tells you to do this, do that. Don't second-guess yourself because that's where you get in trouble. And the Lord gave us all this ability. I grew up not having a lot. My mother raised me and my grandmother raised me. The only income we had during that time was my 
grandfather was a white dentist. I, I know it sounds strange in the South, a black woman and a white man being married, but anyway, he was a dentist, and he got he got he died from injuries from World War II, and so money was hard to come by. So we had to, we didn't steal. Well, yeah, I did. If you had a peach tree, I ate some of your peaches. <laughs> if you had tomatoes, I ate some of your tomatoes. <laughs> but nothing, nothing, nothing serious. We, 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 we didn't, we didn't, we didn't do crazy stuff like the kids do today. So this isn't meant as a loaded question, but by 17, had you been in jail yet? Mm-mm. I'd been out of went to jail. Because I'd have been dead. My grandma would have killed me. <laughs> She'd have bailed me out just to kill me. <laughs> no, no I, no, I hadn't been to jail at 17. My first time in jail was during the Civil Rights March. And back then, the, the police weren't going to take no young black kid to jail. they just beat you, send you home. So a little bit earlier in your life, you guys had some Sunday dinners with Dr. Martin Luther King, who was a reverend at the time, right. wasn't, he wasn't was famous. A, no, no. He was just a preacher. So about how old were you, and what do you remember from those Sunday lunches? He always got the best piece of the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> he always go first. He would always be the first to go. My uncle was the secretary of the NAACP during that time. So he would always go over my Uncle Patton's house or Sister Field's. Well, Sister, Sister Field was the later wise civil rights worker. And, and he loved fried chicken. He liked German chocolate cake. That I knew. And he liked the breast. That's a good combo. Yeah, I know it. And I like the breast. <laughs> and I like German chocolate cake. Yeah, so. well, guess who got it? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But could you tell at that time that Dr. King, was he a, an easy person to follow? Yeah. Yeah. Why was he? Well, because he, he, didn't, he didn't use extreme big words. He brought the message to our level. Uh, you got to realize back during this time, segregation was a part of life. Mm -hmm. That was our life. The whites did this and the blacks did this. And we did not intermingle at all. None. Unless we were throwing rocks at each other. And we did that a lot too. He would bring messages that we understood because he grew up in that era. So he could relate. He also knew in my opinion, he knew a change was going to come, so he preached on it, and and it did. It did come. We've talked about the differences between Martin Luther King and, and Malcolm X. Oh, yeah. And, and Martin Luther King's message was more of what? His message was peaceful. Mm -hmm. Malcolm X's was kill, burn, baby, burn, mm -hmm. fight for what you believe in, fight for your rights. Well, Martin Luther King was just the opposite, and I've been to both meetings. The, the thing you had to understand was you knew where he was coming from. We knew we weren't going to get out there and kill nobody. Right. And we knew we weren't going to shoot nobody. We didn't have no guns anyway. We weren't going to get out and shoot and kill and cut. No, we weren't going to do that. But it was easier for you then, just you personally, to follow Dr. King instead oh, of sure. Malcolm X. Oh, sure, sure, Now, Now, some of my friends didn't. Did African-Americans at that time, especially in the South, was it basically choose one or the other? Depending on the message. Depending on the message. Martin Luther King's message was always peaceful. Don't be tearing up stuff. In other words, peaceful demonstration. Mm -hmm. Malcolm, on the other hand, was 
take the police car, turn it over, uh, knock the window in. We'll talk about the mischievous side of Carl at that time. I'm going to float you into four different stories that, that I really enjoy hearing. And let's start with, when you talk about everything being segregated, water fountains were segregated, oh, yeah. whites only, and a black water fountain. What'd you do? I would change the signs, <laughs> uh, even on the bus. And these buses would have these green on one side, white on the other side. So one day, I, my grandmother sent me to Sanitary Market. That's a place where you go get fresh food. And so what I did was I took all the signs and moved them up all the way, three, <laughs> three seats from the driver. And so people were getting on the bus, black people, got on. And they sit all over the bus, wherever they want to sit. White would stand right there. They'd fill them three spaces. And so by the time we got downtown, the driver couldn't drive. <laughs> they would not pass that sign. And now, now we had room to spare. <laughs> so they would not come past that, that, those signs. So he stopped the bus and, and at this, opened the door and had these couple of people to stand off. He came back. And he looked right at me. <laughs> he knew because he knew I'd been doing it. But I had never done it to that extreme. I moved up maybe one or two, but I was feeling extremely bold that too. And so he, he told my grandmother, I got a whipping. <laughs> was did. it worth it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, did you ever have any run-ins with the, the Ku Klux Klan? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I, uh, I've had run into them while I was here. Really? Yeah, I'll tell you that. Uh, but when I was a kid, I was about nine, ten years old. When the streetlights came on, you had to be in the house because they would ride. Back then, kids, the, the cars had running boards. And so I was out I, I, with my favorite toy, a, a tire, an empty tire with dirt and gravel in it. When you would push it, it would make smoke. It, it was dust, but it wasn't smoke, but it looked <laughs> like smoke. And to me, it was, I was hot wheeling. I didn't pay any attention to the time. The light was on. And so I was up on the corner, and I heard him. And I knew I couldn't run home, so I crawled up in a Corvette. And so he drove up. He had the shotgun. They were shooting the guns. And I know he saw me. He had to, but he could have been, he could have been somebody that we knew because he looked at me. He didn't say nothing. He just looked around, called out a bunch of names, and they drove on off. And so I came out when they got about a block down 13th Avenue. I ran home, me and my tire. You had a run with the KKK here? Yeah. 1986. I lived in an all-white neighborhood. I was the only black that I've ever been there, I suspect. Probably still. One night, Saturday night, we woke up with all these pamphlets, the big N-word, hang, dead. So the, the, the Justice Department, they really feared for our lives. So what they would do is... The police would take me to work, took my wife to work, and took the children to school. And they would be in the house at night. They would stay in the house, three policemen, one downstairs, one upstairs, one on the patio, near the patio door, with their shotguns and stuff. But they never could catch the guy. Hmm. Never could catch the guy. After all you've gone through and all that you've seen and the, the hatred that you've faced, you're, you're such a gentle, loving person, and you care about others. Where does that come from? My grandmother. That was one of her things. You treat people like you want to be treated. Mm -hmm. My family as a whole has never met a stranger. We have taken care of more people who I didn't even know. If you were hungry and you came by my house 
and my grandmother and you say you were hungry, you ate. And if you didn't have a place to stay, she'd, she'd make room for you. I, I mean, not just one time. I, oh, so many. And then when I got married and bought a house, I was doing the same thing. And then when my kids grew up, they would bring people home. It just ran in the family. This is Royals General Manager Dayton Moore. I hope you're enjoying our C10 Mentoring and Leadership Podcast. The C10 program might be the most lasting thing we do as an organization as we work with high school students from greater Kansas City and help them in ways that could make a generational impact. If you'd like to learn more about the C10 program and how we're helping to transform high school students' lives, please visit c10mentoring.com. That's the letter C and the number 10, mentoring.com. Now back to the podcast. So Carl did go on to become a chemist, and he moved here to work for the Sunflower plant. Some of you have probably heard of that. Building bombs and that sort of thing Dynamite, for the government. Bombs, yeah, yeah. Torpedoes, uh, rockets for the Tomahawk helicopters. Uh, you name it, I've done it. <laughs> the one time or another. We used to have to take nitroglycerin from one building from the nitrator to the, to the lab. I used to have to go get my own samples. I had to sample nitroglycerin. And I would get the sample, and they would come in a, in a lead container with a top. And when you close it, the handle would lock the top. And they would have to put a red light on each end of that road that I had to walk down. So you couldn't ride in a truck. You had to walk, walk with it. And well, as long as that light was red, nobody could come down that road. Eight ounces total, which is enough to take me to heaven. <laughs> and and half of anybody within a hundred yards was going to go with me, hmm. so I, I would take it to the lab, and they would have these lights on. And when I got to the lab, I take them out, take them out, put them down in some sawdust, and then I would take what I need out and do what I needed to do. We used to call the buckets that we used to transport nitroglycerin from the nitrator to the pack houses. Angel buckets. You know why they used to call them angel buckets? Because <laughs> that's your next step. <laughs> if you if you turn that one time, one fell over, and and it didn't explode. The molecules, for some reason, didn't didn't hit. But anyway, they couldn't pick it up. So what they did was they just put dirt over it. And and the sad thing about it, they don't know where that buggy is. So they are very careful about when they dig out there in sunflower where that bucket <laughs> could be because oh, the natural person would still be good. So this past summer, spring, summer, we saw all across the country the, the uh, racial injustices are coming to light more and more. Yeah. We saw peaceful protests. We saw not so peaceful protests. As someone who lived through the civil rights, someone who not only lived through the civil rights movement but was in the heart of it in Birmingham. What, what did you think about what all you've seen across the country this, this past summer? You know, I had mixed feelings about, about it. This stuff has been around. It ain't just started. This yeah. stuff has been around. And I don't know what's bringing it to the ugly head except for maybe the policemen are killing nowhere near the people they killed in the South during, during my growing up. They, and you didn't read about it in the paper to, Next thing you know, John had a funeral. That right. no, it wasn't on the news or it wasn't on the radio. You just one dead person. Mm-hmm. I remember one time, white man was trying to bring numbers into our neighborhood, and uh, Mr. Judge said something to him, and so this this guy stabbed him with a 
with a knife right straight through the heart. And I was across the street, and I saw him. I saw him do this, and I saw him take the knife out and walk off and got in his car and drove off. And Mr. Judge was laying on the ground. Police came, called the undertaker. End of that. As we think about Kansas City and, and even what you've gone through, what you've seen, what can we be doing now to make it better? Don't see color. See character. I learned that from Martin Luther King. Don't see color. See character. I don't care. I've seen some of my best friends, black of some people I wouldn't want to deal with. And I've seen whites that I, 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 I wouldn't want to deal with. But not because of the color of their skin, but because of the character that they possess. Mm-hmm. Their attitude, their way of thinking, that's the best way to do it. Don't, don't see a person because of the color of their skin. I asked you earlier about 17-year-old Carl Jameson. If you could go back and talk to 17-year-old Carl Jameson now, what would you tell him? A change is coming. It's going to always be changes. Just wait. Just wait. There's, there's nothing under this sun that you could do that has not already been done. Learn from them. Some of them didn't make it. That's the way I did it. I believe in that thing. If I run into that wall, it ain't going to move. I got to find another way around. Or either I'm going to have to get a new head. Nothing changes unless you change. Nothing changes unless you change. Incredible words to end Carl's interview this week. For some reason, that reminds me of something Dayton Moore tells our C10 students, which basically comes from the book of Proverbs in the Bible. To be understood, you must first understand. I don't know, for some reason to me, there's, there's a parallel there. This might have been our shortest C10 podcast with much of Carl's message to the students remaining with the students. In spite of its length, though, it certainly is one of the most powerful, and I hope that you enjoyed it here this week. And Carl's message fits perfectly with the underlying message to our C10 students. As we bring together urban and suburban, perhaps adding rural to that one day, we want our students to understand that regardless of their family situation, the color of their skin, where they go to school, and so on, we, all of us, can learn these leadership lessons together, these life lessons together. So it's always a treat when Carl is able to speak to our students, to share his life experience with our students, which he has done now in each of our three years of C10. We'll close out this week's episode with Carl's message once again to his 17-year-old self that applies to all of us. Nothing changes unless you change. Well, that does it for this episode of the C10 Mentoring and Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, we hope that you'll leave a favorable review on your favorite podcast platform. If you didn't enjoy it or you have other comments or suggestions for potential guests, you can click on the comment link in the show's notes. We drop a new episode at the end of every week, but be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an interview. And if you or your company would like to help underwrite this podcast, let me know. Until next time, this is Matt Folks for the CU and the Major Leagues Foundation saying be safe and take care.